Welcome to A Command of Rome, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. Yes, for the Again. second time with properly working microphones mm-hmm. this time. Yes. And I think that I'm going to have more to say this time around. I am too, but about like completely different things. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting watching it again, I guess. Yeah, I think I noticed some things and saw things in a bit of a different light this time around. Mhm. Do while well, we have a little bit of an announcement just to remind people that for the next 3 weeks after this, we will be discussing the Star Trek Kelvin movies. So Star Trek, Star Trek Beyond, and Star Trek Into Darkness. Yep. And then there's going to be a little bit of a break, and then we're going to do a big recap. And then we get new episodes of Discovery. Um, And I meant to say last week, in case anybody's interested. um, So I think we've mentioned it before, but another podcast that I listen to and really love is The Adventure Zone by the McElroy family. And in their... A most recent sort of story arc. It's about five episodes long if you were interested in listening. And it's called uh, like the Adventure Zone Commitment. If you just want to listen to that and not the like 70 episodes before it. It's its own contained story. And there is a character in that named Mary who is based on Mary Wiseman who plays Tilly. And she's a lot of fun. And she's she's a fan of the Adventure Zone, which is why they did that. And so if you wanted to give it a listen, it's really interesting. She's this like, she, this character who can control robots and she has this like army of robots in a rundown, like Christian amusement park. (laughs) So she, (laughs) okay. So it's really hilarious. And (laughs) that sounds pretty good. So if anybody wants to give that, uh, a look it's it's pretty funny yeah i have listened to the podcast before i'm just on uh i'm behind on all my podcasts so it's very easy to do as I, there is a lot of good podcasts out there there are a lot of good podcasts out there so yeah i guess should we try and think of what our initial reactions were to the episode I can't remember what mine were. I don't remember either. My like reaction this time, mm-hmm. like main reaction was just seeing this episode without any of the ones before or after. Mm-hmm. I can see where you would, I don't know, like a lot of the characters seemed different. I remember last time we talked a lot about um, Captain Lorca's uh, motivations and how, you know, mm-hmm. we never really knew what they were. But in this one, because I hadn't just watched the episode before it, it seemed more like he was just concerned for the citizens, which, because I know Lorca, I know that that's not accurate, but it was interesting from that point of view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this time I was watching more um, of a couple of the characters, like I was watching them more closely. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I saw a little bit more um, 
nuance to things that I think I missed before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd forgotten that this was the last episode with um the Klingon man. Yes. Fuck. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um geez, that didn't take me long. Um <laughs> a bit with him. And so it was interesting seeing him and definitely like staring hard. Oh, I know. You know, I'm looking for any clues. <laughs> I also have I watched this episode and I took a bunch of notes. And then uh earlier today I started rewatching from the beginning. So the the Vulcan mm-hmm. Hello and Battle of the Binary Stars. And it was the same thing. Like every time Vok was on screen, I'm like staring, like looking, trying to penetrate the layers of makeup and be like, yeah. So. And just like, even at one point I was looking at his eyes really intently and I was like, what color are Tyler's eyes? I don't even know. <laughs> yep, for sure. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed the episode a little bit more this time around. Hmm. So I honestly don't remember like what level of enjoyment I got out of it last time. Yeah. Or rather my initial my initial reaction of really strongly disliking some of the things mm-hmm. has cooled. Like I'm a little bit over it now. Just a little bit over. Well, I can see where from a from like a fan, a longtime fan, where like now you've gotten used to how this Star Trek is, and you're not necessarily expecting previous Star Trek. Yes. Yeah, but even just like jumping into our talking points, mm-hmm. um, starting with the the lows, I guess, uh, with Landry. Mm-hmm. And her death. And just how pissed off we were. And still are. That it was kind of a pointless death. And it seemed out of character. Yeah. And now that we've had some distance from it. Like I'm still. I still don't like how that whole scene played out. That led up to her death. Mm-hmm. But I've seen it. And I've rewatched it. And the the initial outrage has cooled a bit shall we say I also, I also still feel like like why wouldn't they have just put her in a coma I get that right. they got rid of her so they could introduce the whole plot with Tyler mm-hmm. and this was plan sort of sketched out from the beginning for the character yeah but I mean if the, the whole Tyler plot comes to light, I mean, he's not going to be sticking around. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just mean I hope that once that resolves, they don't just replace that with another white guy. Not that Tyler's right. white, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, one of the little snippets I did read today also compared um, Landry's death to the death of Tasha Yar in Star Trek Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember that. No idea. Well, no. Okay. And there are, I could see some compelling parallels there because they're both chief of security and it was considered in both cases a senseless death. Mm -hmm. 
But in the one hand, like in Tasha's case, from what I can remember, I haven't watched early season Next Generation in a long time, but at least like what her actions were leading up to her death didn't mm-hmm. seem out of character for her. So even though it was a senseless death and it was written into the show because she wanted out of Next Generation, I still like that one doesn't bother me as much as this one does just because you have this seasoned security chief who decides to just drop the barrier on this dangerous creature Mm -hmm. and take it on with a knife and a gun. Yeah. And I mean, I know she ran the uh, sedation protocol, Mm -hmm. but she runs the sedation protocol and then doesn't do anything to check for the responsiveness of the creature. She's just sedated. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's an unknown life form. You have no idea how it's going to react to this. And you just walk in. I guess um, similar to what I said before about Lorca, if you hadn't seen the episode just before this, mm-hmm. it wouldn't seem so out of character because it was the episode before this where she seemed like smart and and capable and like not not that they wrote her to be an idiot. So I do feel mm-hmm. like in the may I I don't know who wrote this episode. Did we write it down? But what I'm saying is maybe I they didn't. are just a bad writer. Oh, that could be. You know, and they they just didn't know how to write her character or something. Because yeah, and one of yeah, go ahead. Oh, just because of what I said, because it didn't seem the her that was in this episode that wasn't out of character. Mm-hmm. She seemed all brash and no brain. It's that we'd seen her previously mm-hmm. and knew that she did have a brain. Mm-hmm. And you're right because I was paying more attention to her character in particular in this episode. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, when they walk onto the bridge, when Burnham and Saru walk onto the bridge and they're in the middle of a battle simulation, Mm -hmm. it's Landry who fails to fire in time. Like, she is the reason that the the, um, battle scenario doesn't uh, go successfully. And when you watch her face, like, you can see that she keenly feels it, that Lorca is pissed off. And he does a good job not, like aiming it over at her Mm -hmm. but you can see her and how much how deeply she's feeling his disapproval yeah and the other interesting thing i noticed this time is uh the only reason we know Lorca assigns her to help burnham is because that's what she says hmm we never actually hear Lorca refer mm-hmm. to it. So part of me wonders if she's trying, if she goes there and just tells Burnham that and is actually trying to somehow redeem herself. That's an interesting thought. And then again, follows it up with this failure. Yeah. Again, it's too bad that we don't get to get to know her any better. Cause I think it would have been, she seems like an interesting character. Yeah, she does. Mm -hmm. Like there would have been a lot to unpack there as we got to know her and she and Burnham would have had to work hard to get on good terms with each other, it felt like. I think that would have been interesting. And I think it would have been like a really interesting choice to have, um, like you said, maybe her just get seriously injured or get into a coma or incapacitated. And if it had been just her decision to go do this without Lorca assigning her... 
Then Lorca is even more disappointed. She's now unable to act as security because she's injured and is going to have a recovery time. Mm -hmm. And then when Tyler gets introduced a couple episodes later, it would have made for some really interesting conflict if he just had her reassigned. Yeah. So that she's just, you know, sent off the ship because she's failed and she's no longer like deemed worthy in Lorca's eyes. He can't use her to help win the war. Yeah. And then there's still somewhat the possibility that she could be a recurring guest or turn up at some other time, right? Yeah. Or maybe somebody like sends her back against her will once the whole thing with Tyler is resolved. And then she has to Mm -hmm. be somewhere where she's not really wanted. And like, that would be interesting too. Yeah. Anyways, we, so we still think that was handled poorly. Yes. And the other thing we pointed out when we recorded the first time was that for a show that had like this great promise at the beginning of, you know, women of color in command situations, you know, we're uh, less than a handful of episodes in and we have two dead women of color and one who is a prisoner. Yeah, there's, yeah. Still could do better. And, like, there are other women on the show who I would love to get to know more, like all the women on the bridge. Oh, I, I know. I know, even their names. I don't know their name. I mean, I don't know anybody's name, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you want to be told their names so that you can at least forget it properly. Exactly. <laughs> Just not knowing it, yeah. right? Yeah, I've I've seen their names, like I've looked them up. Um, but yeah, I can't remember them off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. So it would be very interesting to, to see more of the bridge crew sort of fleshed out and some of those side characters more. Yeah. Well, I don't know why they, I just, and there's two of them in particular. Again, I have no idea what their names are, but whenever I see them on mm-hmm. screen, I just like, I don't know what it is, but I want to know more about you. Yes. I don't think they'll get to anything like that in season no. one, but we can hope for season two that they can start getting into some other side stories and incorporating some other people. Yes, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that we didn't like about the episode Mm -hmm. was that it did put some finality on the fate of Captain Giorgio. Oh, yes. They talked about eating her. Yes. I forgot. Yep. And then I was watching it and I was like, right. (laughs) They ate her. Yeah. I remember when we recorded Context for Kings, we were like, maybe she'll still be alive. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And this was kind of like, nope, nope. Nope. She was barbecued. Yeah. Well, we don't even know she was barbecued. She was eaten. I honestly just thought of the most disturbing word that I could use and said it. Okay. (laughs) Poor Georgiou. Georgiou. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Georgiou. Yeah, and then the other aspect of this that really bothered me is that, well, like we decided, it's not actually cannibalism, because they are different species. Mm -hmm. But it also doesn't seem honorable to me. Is there a word for that, for eating something that is like a sentient being that isn't? You know, it strikes me that I've never actually looked at the definition of cannibalism. I'll be right back. (laughs) 
Kate's off to Google. But I mean, okay, so just talking about a bit about like the Klingon cultures that that we've seen from other shows, mm-hmm. um, like they mentioned a few times, like eating the heart of their enemies, which is one thing. Mm-hmm. But they've never talked about like eating the whole thing so i'm hoping it was just an act of desperation by the starving klingons and not like a regular feature of their culture sorry i'm just somebody has asked on some sort of dictionary forum the same question i had specifically about is there a word for beings that will eat other sentient beings oh okay Okay, short answer, no. And also, somebody answered this very disturbingly. Okay, then. Well, I guess they're being funny. But what do you mean by sentient or smart? My dog is smart. My newborn son, not so much. (laughs) Uh, Yes, okay. But cannibalism is specifically eating the flesh of your own species. Yes. So, technically not cannibalism. Still did not sit well with me. No. Like, not just in, like, the ick factor, mm-hmm. but also in the what it reflects of the Klingon, the, of this version of the Klingons. Well, they may not have normally eaten her, but they were starving. Yes, but Laurel does reference, like, you know him smiling as he picked the meat off of her skull kind of thing which yeah you know yeah that's fair so yeah that was also not cool what did you think of the whole Giorgio last will and testament okay the timeline in this episode is not quite clear but how long was that beeping box under her bed did she sleep that way how did Tilly not murder her (laughs) Till he snores, I think. But still, I could never fall asleep with that there. No, I couldn't either. And I think it's like the space of a day. Yeah, that's what I thought this time too. So I was a little bit more forgiving of it. Last time I had it Mm -hmm. in my head that it was longer than a day. And that they spent Mm -hmm. at least one night with that thing beeping at them. But I guess actually that Mm -hmm. wouldn't make sense with the colonists. Yeah, I think it's like the end of a long long day there you know day when they come back and she's laying there and it's beeping and so in that case she was only like thinking about it and probably not actively because they were so under pressure for less than a day Mm -hmm. in which case it doesn't really hold much merit not merit but weight i suppose what that she didn't open it right away that it was like emotionally bothering her Mm -hmm. i'm being very nitpicky here true but that's okay See, it didn't bother me that she didn't open it right away. I thought that was totally, like, to be expected. Yeah, no, it didn't bother me other than the beeping. That would bother them. Oh, the beeping would bother me. There's got to be a way to turn that off (laughs) without opening it. Yeah, you'd think. Uh, One thing that is standing out to me uh, about Discovery's version of Federation technology is that it is annoying as hell. Like, everything. The um, at the very beginning when her uniform is synthesized, mm-hmm. it again reads everything out to her, and then like the um, and the the replicators that are making the mm-hmm. food comments on everything you eat. 
you get a package from the post office and it beeps at you until you open it. Yep. Like everything is just designed to annoy the hell out of people. That just yeah. maybe it's like one of those things she could log in and change, but just hasn't bothered. The the beeping in particular or maybe all not of the it? beeping, but like how you want the ship computer to react to you, how much you want it to narrate your life. Gotcha. Because, I mean, you got to be able to change your settings. You'd hope. This is reminding me of an article that came up today that uh, I didn't actually read, but seems to be about the idea that we should be less personalized with our computer stuff. Why? But again, like I said, I didn't read it. So I can't say for sure. Interesting. Going back to Giorgio for a minute. Yes, sorry, I derailed us there. Well, only a little bit. I also derailed. What did you think of her, like, recorded speech and everything like that? Uh, well, it was interesting that it was obviously done, like, long before the events that we saw. Mm-hmm. So leaving her the telescope was a plan that she had in mind for a while. Yes. And how she was so sure that, you know, she wasn't going to die before... Michael got, like, promoted. Yeah. Can you imagine if, like, she died of old age or something and then Michael got this delivered to her from this, like, 50 years younger uh, captain? Assuming that the captain never decided to, like, change her will and testament. Yeah, I don't know. Although, I know... That most people don't think to update those things. I also feel like, I, I don't know, I personally wouldn't want to make a recording twice, which is hilarious to say in this particular recording. <laughs> but I, I actually, when I started the sentence, I was thinking of like a video recording. Right, okay. I didn't realize until I was halfway through. Anyways. Sorry, yeah. carry on. Um. I just wouldn't want to do it again. I'd be like, oh, I look nice that day. Everything's good. We're leaving it. It's got the message across. Done. <laughs> It'll be like a nice blast from the past from her when I die. All right. That's fair. What What did you think of it? I thought it was good. It was uh, like watching it again. It was kind of a nice frame on the episode. Mm-hmm. Because the the delivery of the box and then her opening the box kind of like bookended it. And it kind of did throw everything into relief about sort of how far off track Michael's life is. And especially with the events of the particular episode Mm -hmm. with the tardigrade. It was really emphasizing how, you know, Michael is sort of far off course. Mm-hmm. and how she ought to be the tardigrades protector or at least at the very least you know how how it's a gray area who you protect because were it not for the tardigrade all the colonists the miners would have died yeah but yet michael knows that you know i think it was well it's obvious on this watch through that she knows that something's the tardigrade is mm-hmm. you know in pain when it is in the spore drive 
and there's ethical yeah. implications with that. I liked seeing the tardigrade again. Yeah, it was nice. I hope they come across like sometime in the future, just like a nice little colony of happy tardigrades. Yeah. Little tardigrades? These ones are kind of large, but yeah. There's all sorts of speculation now that the tardigrades mm -hmm. that are here on Earth are actually did not originate on Earth. Like in the show? No, in real life. Again, I haven't actually read too much about this theory. Because if I stopped over every theory that stumbled across my Facebook nowadays, mm -hmm. I would just do nothing but read Facebook. So I haven't read it, but I, I know that there's been some articles linking it and some speculation about the the fact that the tardigrades can survive in space. And then people are like, oh, what if they didn't actually start off on Earth and that they came here on like some meteor or something like that? Right. And that's why they seem so like foreign and can survive or anything. Interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, the background story of the mining colony? Yeah, the just since I kind of divided up our talking points into like the low lights and then getting into like the good stuff. I can remember from our last recording that mm -hmm. you thought that the mining colony bits were a little overly dramatic. And like... Oh, that's what you mean. So I read that sentence and thought that you meant that the colony had some sort of story. No, 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 no. Okay. I don't know how to read. Gotcha. All good. Yes, I guess they were really dramatic. Did it, did it stand out to you on this watch through? Not as much. No? How about the fact that the Discovery seemed to like zoom in and save them and then like take off? Oh yeah, that's weird. And just, like, leave them there to rebuild. Well, yeah. there might be other Starfleet people, like, non-sciencey warships, like, recovery ships or whatever, who could come out now that they've been rescued. Yeah. And, I mean, it is classified, the spore drive, so I could see where they wouldn't just be like, oh, hey, you know, you just got saved by this, you know, theoretical ship you've never heard of, because mm -hmm. it's classified. So... I can see that. But yeah, the parts of the mining colony, especially because they showed us a lot of like non-transmitted mm -hmm. images of them. So like we weren't just seeing them through like the communicator or on the view screen or anything like that and hearing their voices. We, they actually showed them on the planet and it was very different. And yeah, this time, since you'd mentioned it, I was kind of more aware of it this time around. Just how sort of overly dramatic those scenes kind of seemed to me. I think because I was rewatching this, mm -hmm. I like subconsciously gave myself permission to pay less attention. Right. You know, so I just kind yeah. of tuned it out a bit when that was happening. Mm -hmm. Because I honestly don't really remember them at all. And I literally watched this an hour ago. A little bit I would have liked hour. it better... I would have liked it better if they would have kept them, like, the scenes we saw of them as just, like, the transmissions. Mm. So that everything was just a little bit grainy and chaotic and yeah, not the, you know, on the planet scenes. Yeah, I can see that. And it would have been, would have stuck more with our, with our team. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I just think that it would have also like helped keep the feeling of tension a bit for the viewer to be a little bit removed. And the only thing that you see and know is like these chaotic fragments of communications and yeah, it just, yeah. Also would have shown like that we and the cast don't really know how bad it is there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then also pointing out like a place that supplies 40% of the fuel for your fleet I mean, they did have, apparently, a blockade there, but then your Klingons were able to overrun it, and your nearest backup was hours and hours and hours and hours and hours away. Yeah. That didn't even occur to me last time, but that is strange. Yeah. I mean, like, they said that the blockade was overrun by the Klingons, um, so they did have ships there protecting it. Mm-hmm. And they did have substantial shielding on it because, I mean, it was going to take hours of bombardment for the Klingons to break it down. But then the Starfleet forces were also apparently spread pretty thin. Mm -hmm. Well, that actually, I guess that makes sense. They are at war. They probably would be spread thin. That's true. Although it is similar to the the movie we just watched in that they have so many resources on one planet that if one thing happens to it, they're screwed. Mm-hmm. Why did both sides do this? <laughs> I do not know. But it seems dumb. There it is. It does. But yeah, we were just talking about the Star Trek Six, right? All the eggs in one basket. Yeah. And then the whole thing gets blown up and you're just you know, up the creek without I a guess paddle. with the Star Trek Six, the Federation didn't blow it up. It accidentally blew up. But still. Right. And I guess, like, at this point in the war, the Klingons aren't really acting as a unified force mm-hmm. either. Which might make it a lot harder for the Federation to plan counterattacks and things like that. That reminds me, in this one, we did see um, when Cole came in, he said that his plan was to unite for the war, and then after the war, go back to just being the independent houses, which is a different tune that he was singing in the previous episode, or in the most recent episode, where he wants to be king of all Klingons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Though with him, I could see it's just a matter of, you know, as his power increases, he gets more and more power I can see that too. It would have been nice if they'd put it on screen. Yes. Yes, you're right. Because that's not on screen necessarily. Mm -hmm. It is just, you know, us inferring things. Yeah. Because without it being on screen, it seems like they just forgot. Yeah. Very much so. And, like, I think part of it too is that, like, he doesn't discuss anything... Like, everything is a challenge. Everything is, you know, him in, in like, a verbal challenge with people. Mm -hmm. He doesn't ever have any opportunities to just, like, have a conversation. Yeah. So, like, with with Vok and Laurel in this episode, Mm -hmm. there is conversation to help reveal motives or help, you know, them discuss how things are going, things like that. Mm -hmm. 
with core as he progresses it's very much just like you know you have to pledge loyalty this is how you're gonna pledge loyalty to me um you know or confronting starfleet yeah right like he's he's not actually given a lot of good chances for demonstrating his character and we don't get very much from his uh, physical actions and like what he does to demonstrate it. Yeah, and again, maybe this was just a time constraint thing that they mm-hmm. didn't have an opportunity to do it. But I feel like they could have worked it in. I definitely think that there were some scenes that could have been shuffled around to make room for it. Even just in, um, oh gosh, I forget exactly how everything happened. But in mm-hmm. either the most recent episode or the one before it, when Lorel mm-hmm. was pledging loyalty to him and stuff, I feel mm-hmm. like there would have been opportunity there. Right. When, when he did say, right. like, I will be king of all Klingons forever, there mm-hmm. would have been opportunity for him to say something or maybe, like, in public, keep his or, original or even... thing and then privately mm-hmm. to Lorel, you know, say that. The Klingons are his forever. That's right. Uh, the other really good place to have put this would have been to have, it, like in the episode with Admiral Cornwell mm-hmm. and Laurel, where there's the fake interrogation sort of thing. Yeah. And Laurel brings up defecting. It could have been that partly her reason for it is that you know, he's amassing too much power, he's power crazy, like, this is not the vision of the Klingon Empire that I I started this thing for. Right. Like, there could have been a little bit of exposition from the way Laurel th- sees things to help the viewer get to that point where we understand that he is snowballing things out beyond his yeah. original scope. Were there any other lowlights that we want to mention before moving on to some of the highlights and the really, really good stuff in the episode? I don't think so. Okay. Then some of the highlights. Okay. I I didn't realize we were still... I don't know. I was just talking about stuff. I didn't necessarily (laughs) not like some of the things that I just talked about. No. Anyways. Highlights. You go. Okay. Um, So on a very basic level, they had some really, really pretty special effects in this episode. Right. Yes. And I even, when I was thinking about it today, realized that they were kind of like a good contrast to one another because they have the, like it starts off with like the storm effects and you see all these giant pillars being thrust upward and everything like this. And it's, it seems very chaotic and noisy and, uh, you know, you sort of are at first assuming that it's like a planet with a huge storm raging. And then it zooms out and it's the synthesis of Burnham's uniform. Yeah. And then when the Klingons get introduced, you see a ship and then it's rendered into this like line drawing of light and it zooms out and he has done like a 3D light art tracking all of the orbits of all of the debris and even though it is like the scene of devastation, mm-hmm. he has actually created something really beautiful with it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought they did a really good job with that. I enjoyed it. I liked both of those things too. 
Mm-hmm. I still can't believe they were just sitting there for six months. I know. Well, they do say that like it's been six months, and now the ship is almost fully operational again. Yeah. So it took them. So like they've been working. I get that. I just I have these like memories of Star Trek: Next Generation where like. There was a hull breach. Oh, we hit this button. Everything's fixed. <laughs> Which one is less realistic? <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing I, like, they were there for six months. None of the other Klingon houses, like, sent a ship with parts or supplies yeah. or anything. Like, I get that there's some dissension in the ranks among the Klingon houses. Mm-hmm. But there's the ship here that has the only known cloaking technology. Yep. And the other houses were just like, okay, we'll all just go to war. We won't try and salvage this ship or make it run again. So that part, again, didn't quite... It does seem very strange because, like, some people aren't, don't hold to, to Kovma, but some do. So there must have been some yeah. houses out there that would have come to their aid. Yeah. I, I presume some do. There's people on the ship. Well, that's true. Maybe they were and it just wasn't enough aid. Maybe. Maybe that's how they've been somewhat making repairs as it is. I do enjoy how we were talking about a thing that we liked and got into something that we were like, this seems dumb. Yep. Um, the parts on the Discovery with the Tardigrade. Mm-hmm. And Burnham sort of, like, studying it and making discoveries and things like that. Did you like that part of it? I did. I feel like that's kind of my favorite Burnham. The sort of nerdy, science-y, I want to figure this out Burnham. Right. Yeah. I could see that. I just think that that's when both, like, the character and the actress are at their best. Mm-hmm. I'm now trying to think what my favorite Burnham is. Like, as a command person, she made some pretty serious uh, leadership errors, I think. She did. In my opinion. As just a science officer, I think she does a pretty good job. It's episodes like this one that actually make me think, she might not even want command. Like, maybe there's a part of her that was like, that's the next logical step, so obviously I want it. But does she really want it, Mm. like, for herself? I don't know. Right. Would would a command position actually lead her to happiness? Yeah. It'll be interesting if they kind of explore that with her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as her relationship as sort of like a mentor with Tilly and uh, her relationship with Ash mm-hmm. evolves. Uh, it'll be interesting if she has to question those kinds of things herself. Yeah. And I don't necessarily mean that she's not good at leadership, because you can be a, a mentor and a leader without command. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could just be that, you know, she is better off in a more subtle leadership position rather than captaining a ship. Mm-hmm. Not that I... I don't know. Not that I necessarily think she would be a bad captain, although... Her record is kind of against her there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know that ne- that she'd be happy because right. she seems to 
she seems to like just being a scientist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and being a captain requires all sorts of very difficult choices. Yeah. And I could see her getting really eaten up over the consequences of her choices. Yep. Which is not necessarily the path to happiness. And I mean, we're super jumping the gun here. She's still a prisoner, but yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, I do like Sciency Burnham the best, I think, too. I guess it's kind of, um, it's more her Vulcan side that comes out when she's Sciency Burnham. Hmm. Maybe, yeah. Because she always sort of seems to go kind of monotone and doesn't let her emotions or even the emotions of others really come into it. She's just like, must be logical. And even even Landry in this one said something about hating Vulcan proverbs when it's possible Michael was just talking to her. Yes. Yeah. I did like the kind of back and forth between Landry and Burnham when Landry was in there. Yeah, which just makes me even more upset because I think they would have been interesting to see together more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For as much as Burnham and Saru have like a really subtle verbal banter going on, mm-hmm. um, her and Landry, it would have been like much more direct. Yes, no subtle at all. No. I really liked Stamets in this episode as well. Yeah, I can remember not really feeling one way or the other about him the Mm -hmm. first time, but now that I know him better, or at least I don't think I felt one way or the other about him, but now that I know him better, I I did like him a lot in this one. And it was, I don't know, it's just interesting to see everybody now that we know them better. Mm -hmm. And I think that this was the first one with Dr. Culber, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's not even really, like if you didn't read any of the, news about the show beforehand you wouldn't even know that they were in a relationship yes yeah and based on the reaction on the fan page that i follow on facebook there were people who very sincerely didn't realize that they were in a relationship Hmm. so i kind of like the way that was done how they were introduced i I feel like we did talk about this before because i remember talking about the different sides of their relationship but Mm -hmm. I, I liked the way that they were introduced that way and how you could kind of subtly pick up on it. But if you didn't mm-hmm. know, you might not have. Mm-hmm. No, I liked it too. Especially because it wasn't like a big showy or dramatic reveal moment. Mm-hmm. Like in this episode, it's just like he's in there because he's the doctor and there's a patient and, you know, they have a little bit of banter. It wasn't like an obvious, like dramatic music swelling in the background and like a comment about their relationship and or like a, a you know, bit of confusion as like somebody has to explain it to Burnham or something like that. You know, like it wasn't something that had to be made a statement about or be obvious, which is as it should be, because it's just two people. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah. And then. One of the things I really enjoyed watching this time around mm-hmm. was that because I'd seen it already, I could see a lot more of the thematic nature of the show and how much they were set, like pointing out that theme of sacrifice. I mean, it's obvious from the title, you know, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Mm-hmm. 
but it was really interesting that how that they were showing it like from a scientific standpoint all the way from the beginning artwork um and then leading it into the theme of war as well mm-hmm. so yeah um yeah i also liked did we not pick up on that the first time you know, now that I said it out loud, I think we did pick up on it a bit the first time as well. But this time I think I can express it more coherently. Yeah, and sort of see that they s- stuck with those themes a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Burnham was really reflecting on everything that she'd sacrificed with her decisions. And all the parts of her life that she sacrificed to try and save everybody's lives. Mm-hmm. And prevent a war, which happened anyways. Yeah. So she sacrificed her career. She sacrificed her relationship with her captain. Uh, Her captain's life ended up ending because of her decisions. And then as well, like with the, her current situation, she has no freedom. She sort of sees a, a parallel between herself and the tardigrade. They're both there as useful tools. Yeah. I wonder what would have happened to her if Giorgio 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 had lived. Hmm. I think that Giorgio might have spoken for her at her trial. Yeah, that's that's what I would have thought also. Though I still think that they needed a scapegoat for this. Oh yeah, but I don't don't know. It just would have been interesting to see how what, what would have been different and what would have happened. Mm-hmm. Especially since with the last film testament, you can see that Georgiou did really think of her as kind of a daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would have been interesting to see what she would have done and how it yes. would have affected things. Yeah, and how it would affect things like would she still have somewhat ended up in a similar position? Yeah. Or because I can see where maybe if like Jude's still been alive and their ship hadn't been destroyed which I mean that's two things but whatever or maybe she'd, she'd have been able to just live out her imprisonment on that ship or her punishment of some kind hmm I could see it more that Giorgio might have pulled a lot of strings to get her just maybe stripped and stripped of rank <laughs> not just stripped no not just stripped have her rank uh stripped from her and like basically drummed out of starfleet right but not necessarily you know imprisoned for life okay Um, your stripping comment reminded me mm -hmm. there was that scene where we see lorca eating and he had his jacket just unzipped and it reminded Mm -hmm. me so much of the the movie where they would rip open that one corner of their shirt <laughs> to show that they were <laughs> off duty or whatever. He just yes. unzipped his jacket. <laughs> yep. I wish I could have seen if he also did it as violently as Kirk did it. So a little bit of current events related to the Lorca and Kirk. Um, William Shatner has blocked Jason Isaacs on Twitter. <laughs> Why? What? like jokingly or is this well okay first of all I don't think William Shatner actually runs his own Twitter okay (laughs) um 
and um, he. Uh, but apparently, a lot of people get blocked by Shatner. But and the only thing I heard about it was like Jason Isaac's reaction tweet mm -hmm. about it, which is funny. Um, I'll try and remember to send out a, a copy of the link. Um, but yes, <laughs> William Shatner blocked Jason Isaacs. <laughs> so now Jason Isaacs is quite cheeky on Twitter. Maybe he didn't realize who he was. <laughs> what? I don't know. Like maybe William Shatner didn't realize who Jason Isaacs was. I never get the impression from William Shatner that he stays up to date with current events. Well, no, I, but to be fair, he is like in his 80s. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. He can do whatever he wants. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But he like they were at the premiere. Oh, I didn't realize that. I don't pay attention to these things. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. But back to the show. What were we talking about? Sacrifice? Yeah. But since since we were talking about Lorca and his sacrifice, Lorca does seem pretty willing to sacrifice everything to win the war. Is it win the war, though? Or is it for his own career? Or is it just because he can? Just to see what they can do? How far he can push push things? I don't, even, I don't even know if I necessarily mean that so much as just to see, you know, what the new thing that they can invent or the new place they can go or you know what I mean like I think I think he kind of wants to discover something a ruthless drive for curiosity yeah because I okay as much as I think a part of him like does care about other people mm -hmm. I don't think he cares about the war in and of itself that much like I don't think he feels any let's say patriotic pride you know what I mean yeah, but I can definitely see what you're saying about Lorca, just, like, ruthless curiosity. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out, like, does he... I mean, he seems to care about the colonists in this episode. Yeah. And he seems to have cared about, somewhat about Landry. Though Landry does say that, like, he only cares about what you can do for him. Mm-hmm. She seems very aware of that, which is part of, I think, her drive to figure something out with the TARD degrade i almost said tardis <laughs> <laughs> i i guess like i know the first time that we watched this we talked about how he did seem to care more about his career or whatever than saving mm. the colonists or or equally and this time i don't mm. know i just from what we know about him since then maybe i didn't get the feeling that he was worried about his career he doesn't strike me as someone mm. like wants to climb the ladder or anything. He just wants to see what he can do in the realm of war or at all. Like I think he would be doing something similar even if he wasn't at war. He just wouldn't have as much freedom to push the envelope. But he does have his little laboratory that's filled with like weapons and everything. So do you think he's just started that since the war because that's the current challenge to be overcome? Yeah, um, was he Captain of Discovery before the war, or did they bring him in? Um, it's not 100% clear. What we know from the first half of the season, though, is that he was the captain on a different ship at mm -hmm. some point, and that ship was destroyed. Right, okay. In the war. 
and that led to the injury with his eyes that made right, his right, eye drops. Right. And okay, so so it's hard to say on the timeline of when he started his little weapon room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess it'll just be interesting to watch him going forward and see what he really wants. Like, I don't really know. Yeah. What, what do you think? No, I, I don't have anything else. I was just going to say he's really good at getting what he wants. Like, he's a really good manipulator. Yeah. So. Although it was sort of all catching up with him there at the end. You mean for the season or the episode? Uh, the, the half season. The, the, the half season? Yeah. That's very true. And then we have the Klingons, Vok and Lorel, mm-hmm. who also Vok has to sacrifice his uh, standards of purity and go and salvage a piece of Federation technology in order to get his ship working again. Mm -hmm. And then in the end of the episode, he has lost everything and has been banished. And when Laurel gives him a way out, she tells him that he has to sacrifice everything in order to like unite the, the Klingon empire under Takuvma's, um, under Takuvma's, you know, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Teachings. I guess we have yet to see how that plays out. Yeah. Which will be fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. It will be. I actually, I really agree with Laurel in this one. Laurel, when she's written this way, is the best. Because yes. she was right. He didn't want to, like take anything from the ships but he was cool with eating her body Mm -hmm. like take what you need it's war yes especially because like using their technology which is the same thing that you need to power your own ships isn't really you know uh polluting klingon culture yeah you know like it's like gas in a car. Yeah, yeah, if everybody uses the same thing, it, everybody uses the same thing. That's right. So, yeah. I, th- yeah, Laurel in this episode really seems to be working the, the system. Well, she just seemed smart and like... like and competent. And, smart and competent and... um. I can't think of the word I'm looking for, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. like a strategic war person. Yes, that's the best tactical. Yeah, and then when we see her later, even in like the very next episode, she doesn't seem that way at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this episode, she is like maneuvering things, mm-hmm. right? Like she's she's influencing and putting things in motion and even when things don't go her way she is very quick to turn it again to the best advantage she can yeah and then when we see her later she seems so much more just reactionary and scrambling grasping at anything she can yeah and i guess possibly like the very next episode isn't the best comparison or the best one yeah, to because look at? we don't know 
we don't know how much of that was perhaps something that Chewie was faking. Right. So. Was that really the very next episode? Yeah, mine had a, like, a next week on thing. Right, right, okay. Which really changes, like... Her character seems so different. Yeah. But I also, well, I was reading Memory Alpha today, and apparently it was partly her performance in, like, this episode, or the, the first two episodes that the writers used to really write more of her kind of idea. Like she was allowed to sort of influence the character. Now, I don't know if that came into play in the next episode or if she's just talking about like in general in the larger story arc, because it was just like a kind of a one or two line snippet from an interview that they had listed there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I I really want to see this Laurel back again, though. I really yeah. want to see her as a major player in the Klingon political sphere and in the tensions between the Klingons and the Federation. I think I think we might now that she's on the Discovery and and all of that stuff that has to play out. Yeah, but I don't know. Okay, Th- this episode definitely had my favorite writing of Lorel in it. Mm-hmm. Even with the the cheesy double entendre between her and <laughs> yeah <laughs> which I don't know I, I really enjoyed actually I mean it was super cheesy but yeah. it felt like it was like obviously just written that way yeah like they were probably laughing at it as they wrote it yeah yeah, it's not like they were thinking, oh, this is so subtle and awesome. They were thinking, like, we're going to make this awkward and funny as hell. Yeah. And I guess it kind of also sets up that their relationship is or could be sexual. Yes. Which yeah, for sure. is possibly important, probably. Definitely. Yes. What shall come to pass? I think that's it for the episode. Yeah, I think we've covered all the uh, main points yeah. that we had. Oh, one more last thing to throw in there. Mm -hmm. Even though we only saw like a tiny little bit of Tilly, Mm -hmm. she was still awesome. Yeah, Tilly's pretty awesome. Yeah. I do like that this was like before they were friends again. So she was still Mm kind of nervous about saying like even hello while where we are now. um, She'll just straight up be like, you're being an idiot. Go do that thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I liked having that. Yes. She seems very wet behind the ears at the first few episodes, Mm -hmm. which makes me wonder how long um, Tilly's been on the ship or perhaps how long the Discovery's been like out in general. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it's six months after the battle Mm -hmm. and Theroux's on the ship as the commander. So it could be that the Discovery is a very recent crew compilation. By the time Burnham gets on there, they may have only been working together as a crew for a few weeks. Yeah, that's true. Especially since, like, Lorca must have come from another ship also. And it mm-hmm. does it does seem like maybe it was a bunch of survivors, you know, that they all mm-hmm. brought together and were like, here, we have a new ship for you. Yeah, and Stamets is so pissed off in the episode before this one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and mentions that, you know, like he was doing his science thing and then comes the war and then Starfleet just, you know, took over what he and his lab partner had been working on. And since the war only started six months ago. Did him and the lab partner break up? Like, not relationship-wise, but like, were they physically in the same space before? I got the sense that they were. As it that, could be that, like, they took the crew of the Discovery and split it between two ships. That could be. Or just that they were decided to, like, requisition the what these scientists were working on. Mm-hmm. And, like, set them up on two ships. And it took a while to outfit them correctly. Yeah. None of this particularly matters. Well, not to us. No. I just suddenly realized we'd been talking about it for a while and was like, this changes nothing. Not, not really, I, no. Not that I'm complaining. I, I like that we talk about it. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So now we've hit all the parts of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, for this episode, so I've already kind of well, I don't have any specific Star Trek nitpicks. All my nitpicks were just kind of story nitpicks. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of an Easter egg when Lorca was doing name dropping to Stamets. And he mentioned, you know, the Wright brothers, Elon Musk and Zephram Cochran. I have never heard of Zephram Cochran. He is the inventor of warp technology. Oh, within Star Trek. Okay. Yes, he's, he's a Star Trek scientist. Gotcha. Well, so I might. Well, anyway. If we watch Star Trek First Contact, you will hear about Zephyr Cochran. Played by James Cromwell. Interesting. Yes. And so that was the only one I caught. There were some, of course, like background stuff in the lab and in Lorca's office, because in his office, when he's eating, the Tribble is there again. Oh, I missed it. I think I missed it last time, too. Carry on. Okay. And uh, in the lab, I didn't catch anything clearly enough in his little war room, mm-hmm. but I did see mention online of there possibly being a Horta skeleton there. But again, I didn't see that. I just heard about it. And the Horta is a, again, an alien from the original series. Okay. So, yeah. It could have been the Horta. It could have been something different. Would you put Elon know. Musk on the same level as the Wright brothers and the fictional person who invented warp? I don't think that I would. Um, With his electric car? He's certainly not the inventor of the electric car. Nope. So it's not like people can afford his electric car. The other little rumor that I read on Memory mm-hmm. Alpha was that the line didn't originally have Elon Musk in Mm -hmm. there, but Jason Isaacs threw it in there Hmm. in a shameless bid to try and get a comp Tesla. That that would make me feel better about it. (laughs) Because... It would? Okay. I don't don't think he's comparable. Elon Musk is talking also about, like, some super high-speed, like, underground monorail tube transit things right, as well. but he didn't invent flight. Well, no. I mean, I, arguably no, neither didn't. did the Wright brothers, but... But he... Well, anyway. Not important. Once again, sorry. 
Although, like, I guess, sorry, um, we're talking about Elon Musk in his Tesla company, but he also does have the um, space company. What do, what has he done? Uh, like Space One, they've they've done some uh, space flights, and they're trying to do like commercial space flight. Okay. I don't follow it that closely. Neither do I. So maybe it's just, but, maybe they're just implying that he's going to invent something or do something. That could be it too. And then when we were recorded this episode the first time, mm-hmm. we did have some listener mail to share. And since people may have missed it, I thought I would share it again. Oh, you know what? I think I actually just cut it out. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Well, then we'll be sharing this. To- get through the bad episode as quickly as possible, not because the email was bad or anything. Gotcha. Then we have some listener mail that was originally sent to us when this episode would have been recorded the first time. And it's an email from Jaslyn, who has a podcast called High Expectations. And she was wondering if we knew if the Klingon if we knew why the Klingons were speaking really slowly. I don't remember them talking like this in the other series I have seen. She put all the periods in there to make it. I forgot that you had done that before. Yeah. Um, She also says that her favorite new character is Tilly because I think it's going to be great seeing her become more confident. Which we did. She feels... Mm-hmm. We, we do see that we do yes um, and she feels sorry for the Saru actor because that makeup routine must be so tedious that must be Doug Jones' so, life though like the makeup yes. chair yeah um, so the actor who plays Doug Jones is kind of known well not kind of he his movie career is basically playing characters who call for lots of prosthetics uh, which is why you don't recognize him when he's not in some sort of makeup kind of creepy so looking a little bit a little bit he's extremely tall and very skinny yeah so he's very sort of I don't know I think it really worked like his body physique just generally works for the parts he does yeah and he does excellent work in prosthetics Mm -hmm. um yeah even in this episode like there's that bit where um burnham gets on the elevator and he just looks mm -hmm. at her and you can Mm -hmm. see it all in his face that he's just like why is she still here Mm -hmm. and they redesigned the prosthetic as well because the one of the designs they had didn't allow him to show as much facial expression. Mm. And he is so good at all of those little tiny character things, those little movements, tilts of the head, his body positioning, his, how he holds his arms and just everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he just emotes so well. Yeah, he does an excellent job. And he's definitely like one of the high points for just the character performances. Yeah. Although I have to say, I think, you know, most of the cast is doing an excellent job with the character performances. Yes, I would agree. Mm -hmm. Um, Addressing her point about the Klingons and how they're talking. 
other people have noticed it. And uh, there's a couple of things, a couple of points to address with it. One is that there is a lot more Klingon that we're hearing because there's so much more taking place from the Klingon perspective. And they're choosing to have it spoken and subtitled as opposed to having them do the switch to English thing. Mm -hmm. And the second point is that the actor who, like, the actor who played Takuvma and some of the other actors may not be native English speakers. And so some of it may just be how their accented English is pronouncing the Klingon. Right. More so than it, like, you know, before when we had, like, Christopher Plummer in Star Trek VI. You know, a very British English. Is he British? I think so. Okay. I said it, and then I was like, am I just making that up? I don't know now. Um, but, like, you know, he's got a very Western accent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's Canadian. And so it could just be... Is he Canadian? <laughs> awesome. Okay, so he's got a, a very North American accent, and a lot of the other Klingons that we may have seen in the shows so far, again, are very... Sorry, I'm now... What? I'm so sorry to interrupt, yep. but I'm now reading his Wikipedia article. He's a great-grandson of a prime minister. Oh, well. <sighs> I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, I'm just that's okay. Close this. You just were pointing out how much of a failure as a Canadian I am. No, both of us, though. But oh, I didn't well. know either. Fair. Um, but yeah, so like the, the, the accent behind it maybe something to consider when thinking about how their lines are being spoken. It didn't seem that different to me when, from when we watched Star Trek six, like there was a bit more like they did, I think overall give the Klingons a bit more of an accent, which mm. I like because it makes them seem less human, mm -hmm. but it didn't seem like it was that much slower. Cause I think the, the language itself is very consonant heavy, which puts in just a lot of, pauses between words because they don't really flow right right uh yeah and i like i noticed it particularly with takuvma who we don't really we don't hear in this episode at all i don't even think they've got a clip of him at all mm -hmm. and again he was one of the actors who uh, i don't think is north american born mm -hmm. uh, and then as well i think it may have just been partially his mannerism because they're trying to have him be seen as like a religious figure and his speeches are not just like an everyday conversational sort of feeling to them. But like the very first one was him almost sermonizing on the bridge of his ship to the Klingons mm -hmm. who were there. And so I think it might just be that, He's sort of trying to get that, you know, religious or just a very affected speech for, you know, shifting the sentiments of the people rather than his, the natural flow of their speech. Just to um, speak to that, Chris Obi, who plays Takuma, mm -hmm. is British slash Nigerian, according mm -hmm. to Wikipedia. But it looks like both him and his father, mm -hmm. like, went to school in London. So he probably has a British accent. 
But again, I can't mm. okay. off the head, off the head, off the top of my head, think of anything that I've seen him in. He was apparently mm-hmm. on an episode of uh, Doctor Who that I probably saw, but I, I just I can't think of it, uh, about like what his voice sounded like. So just to say. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I like the way that the Klingons speak, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. I'm not a super huge fan of it because it does sound a little, I don't know. I think what I'm, what I'm reacting to is just, it's a lot more Klingon and a lot longer phrases that they're having to speak in Klingon rather than short, like five to seven word phrases. It's like entire back and forth lines, paragraphs of text. And like you said, it's very consonant heavy, but it does match the new Klingon design, which I'm still not a super huge fan of. Sorry, I just think it's funny. That, <laughs> I know we're we're of two very different opinions on the the Klingon design, and that's fine. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that would be boring if we just agree yep. with each other. Yeah. So I do like that they had it subtitled instead mm-hmm. of dubbed. Yeah, I do too. And I even kind of liked how they they held on to that for a while. And then in the most recent episode, like the way that they did it was ridiculous. But in the most recent episode, they, they did that whole using the translator yes. thing. But it the way that they did it sort of showed how, like from a TV point of view, not from a story point of view, if that makes any sense, how this is leading into the rest of the show mm-hmm. to the rest of the series mm-hmm. does that make sense i think so like not just introducing plot things mm-hmm. that they've used in other uh star trek series but introducing like writing techniques that they've used in other series right or like the the production choices that they've made in other series yeah i think that's interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is do you have anything else to address in the email uh, no. Okay. Other than I like getting emails. I did not know, like, I didn't realize that this was the same email we had talked about before. So I was very confused when I saw it here because I didn't realize we'd gotten an email. And then everything made sense when you explained. Yes. Oh, good. I'm glad. And yes, we love getting emails. So if you have thoughts on the show or things that you want us to talk about, then please feel free to send us an email. You can email us at a command of her own at gmail.com. Or if Twitter's your thing, you can tweet at us where we are at command of her own. And then mm-hmm. I have a fortune cookie here, Kate. All right, let's do it. Okay, for the episode, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, okay. who shall this fortune be for? Oh, right, we're doing it the new way. You know what? Because she won't ever get another chance, Landry. That's a good idea. Okay, so. Landry's fortune. (laughs) Tuesdays and Thursdays stack odds in your favor. (laughs) I guess this all took place on a Wednesday then. Probably. (sighs) They don't mention the day of the week in this episode, but I'm going to guess it was not a Tuesday or a Thursday. Or that... Lorca named his weapons 
and she didn't just pick up the Tuesday or Thursday weapon. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations? Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will recommend Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because that is the latest sort of geeky thing that I am watching. Interesting. I watched about two episodes yeah. and didn't like it. Oh, really? Yeah. The, like, the first two episodes. The yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing a rewatch. And one of the people, this is her first time watching. Mm-hmm. And I think she, we're now up to, like, the last third of the season. Mm-hmm. And she's now kind of understanding why people like the show okay so yeah i'm enjoying it i'm enjoying watching it again i have to say for me one of the reasons i like agents of shield is similar to one of the reasons why i like law and order Mm -hmm. and i have a crappy memory for plot Mm -hmm. and so i can rewatch the same things over and over and over again and i will have forgotten the twists and turns and reveals of the show and it's like new every time. Ah. So in Agents of Shield, there's quite a lot that you know happens and is revealed, and this character is like this, and this character is like that, and then this happens, and then the. So there's all these twists and turns along the road, and characters that come in, and events that are referenced, and you know, in a sh- very short order, I kind of forget it, and then I can rewatch it again and discover it like new. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to Law and Order, where I'll be like, I know I've seen this episode. I know I've seen it multiple times because, like, I remember the people they're investigating, but I can't remember which one was the murderer and what evidence they found and how they found it. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. How about you? Do you have any recommendations? Um, I guess if you get a chance, I saw. I went to go see Murder on the Orient Express last week, and it wasn't the best Poirot movie out there, but it was entertaining, and the cinematography was beautiful, and it had a really good cast. I have heard the cinematography is quite wonderful. Yeah. I went to see it with my family, and, like, my extended family, Um, and my mother is quite a Poirot nerd. She really? wouldn't put it that way, but it's that's what she is. Um, so it was really funny. Like, as soon as we got out of the movie, she was just like, he would never act that way. What was even going on there? And That's and awesome. She, she was a little bit insulted. I mean, she liked the movie, but she was mm-hmm. a little bit like, this was not really Poirot. Right. So you said this was not the best Poirot movie out there. Mm-hmm. So what is the best Poirot movie out there? Okay, this is, once again, information from my mother, but pretty much, oh God, anything that she made me watch when I was a kid, I don't remember the actor's name. I can see him in my head. It was always on PBS when I was like, when I was younger. I think I am familiar with that, which you were talking yeah. about. I'm sorry, I don't remember which ones they uh, were, but uh, my mother swears by those ones. And also she and an uncle of mine were like thrown around names about who'd played him and definitely landed on one. But I don't hmm. remember it, obviously, because it was a name. Oh, and that's right. And this the one was Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, who was also the director. Of course. Yeah. And, oh, my mother was very upset that he wasn't, like, fat. 
way Poro yes. was supposed to be. She was terribly upset. Well, Poro is quite the portly character. Yeah. Did he have his hair like slicked or like was he blonde? He was kind of blonde. Was he? Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I can't remember how Poro is in the books, but it's definitely not how he has been portrayed in the movies. Yeah. And um, but the rest of the cast is is really really great. I like Daisy Ridley is really good in it, and I don't think I've seen her in anything other than Star Wars. So that was good. And Leslie Odom Jr. is in it, and he's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So there we go. That's what Kate recommends. Mm-hmm. Now, are we going to discuss fan theory at all here? I don't really have anything to add. I think we kind of discussed like the only we did like yeah the only points that were in this episode about paying real close attention yes yes and i have to say that the first time we recorded this we were not going on about this particular fan theory because it hadn't happened yet Mm -hmm. so yeah so then we will just do our our thank yous i guess Mm -hmm. so thank you very much for listening if you have questions or comments you would like to share you can contact us at a command of her own at gmail.com or on Twitter at command of her own. I'm going to eat my fortune cookie now. So we have to say bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> when you said, um, thank you for listening. I'd been listening yeah. to friendshipping earlier today. So you want to say you're welcome for yeah, automatically. It was right there. I had to stop myself. I like that you sign off. It's very cute. Yeah. Oh, and I guess we didn't sign off like with ourselves again. Oh, you're right. You, we're just trying to start that. I know. I didn't change the script, obviously. <laughs> I'll go first this time. So this has been okay. Caitlin. And this has been Jen. And Jen's yeah. going to enjoy her cookie now. So bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>